Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology. With me, Tiasha Zaitz. Healthcare is facing challenges on all fronts. WHO estimates a projected shortfall of 10 million health workers by 2030, mostly in low- and lower-middle-income countries. However, countries at all levels of socioeconomic development face to varying degrees difficulties in the education, employment, deployment, retention and performance of their workforce. Several other factors, such as the aging population and the rising demand for healthcare services, put healthcare systems under pressure to change and adapt. To a degree, with the help of technology. A big topic, especially in the US, is the move of retail providers such as Amazon and Walmart and pharmacies Walgreens and CVS into primary care. Hospitals are looking at opportunities for virtual care and turning homes into hospital-like environment supported by virtual monitoring, which would decrease the need for expensive brick-and-mortar infrastructure. At this year's NextMed conference in San Diego, Rasush Rista, Chief Innovation and Commercialization Officer and Executive Vice President at Advocate Health, a hospital system of 67 hospitals across six states, Alabama, Georgia, Illinois, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Wisconsin, mentioned that the health system made a deal with Best Buy, the provider of consumer electronics. In this episode, we will take this news as a starting point for a broader discussion. How is healthcare transforming globally? And what does the shift towards virtual care look like in 2023? You will hear from experts from the US, Canada, Germany, the Netherlands, Kenya, China and UAE who spoke or attended the NextMed conference. Enjoy the discussion and make sure to subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com where we publish recaps of episodes on a monthly basis. This episode is summarized in the last edition. Now let's dive in today's discussion. We will start today's topic with Rasul Shrista, Chief Innovation and Commercialization Officer and the Executive Vice President at Advocate Health. As he said at NextMed, cloud, virtual and AI have become the core of healthcare systems. The deal between Advocate Health and Best Buy aims to provide services for virtual care. With this, the healthcare system wants to meet its consumers where they are. In our organization, we built essentially the largest hospital at home program in the country. And the next leap forward is really in the home. There's a McKinsey study that says $265 billion of care dollars are actually shifting from the traditional bricks and mortar facilities to the home in just the next couple of years by 2025. Last I checked, 2025 is just, you know, around the corner, right? So that I believe is the next leap forward. And we just announced a huge partnership between Atrium Health, which is part of Advocate Health, and Best Buy. So it's really interesting when you think about going to a Best Buy store, a retail store, 
where you can go in by a big flat screen TV, but you can also go in and look between the Switzerland of medical devices. So you have Apple devices, you have Google devices, you've got all sorts of devices and you have the geek squad that goes into your homes to help fix your Wi-Fi and your TV. But now working with uh, what we're building together is really co-innovating and saying, all right, the next leap forward is the coming together of technology and empathy, right? It is choosing to meet our consumers, our patients, our communities where they choose to meet us and it's helping them. So it's not just throwing digitals and data and technology after a problem, but it's really helping them and meeting them in the middle. So we have paramedics, we have social workers, we have nurses, we have physicians, and then we have data and remote patient monitoring, but entering the patient's home, really improving the experience, bringing costs down and improving the quality. How much did that require you to change the way you provide healthcare? Did you, for example, did you hire new people basically to do the whole care if there's a need for the intervention physically at someone's home? Or did you just change the work processes so like people that used to work on wards are now partially working in the home setting as well? So this is all about pivoting, right? This is all about pivoting the resources and capabilities as well as the innovations that we have and really going after something new. So th this is us taking our workforce around the paramedics, around the social workers, and growing that program with the critical needs that we saw that the pandemic played up, right? So when the pandemic played up with tons of COVID positive and COVID presumptive patients that were flooding our hospitals and really putting our ICUs to the maximal capacity. And capacity continues to be a big issue. Charlotte is one of the fastest growing cities in North America. Capacity is a big issue. So what we said was, let's decompress these hospitals, but also Let's improve the experience and bring the cost of care down overall while in increasing the qualities by creating essentially hospital, virtual hospital floors in patients' homes. So we're able to create this infrastructure by pivoting the capabilities that we have. We have years worth of experience in building our virtual care capabilities and, and services. And with the partnership with Best Buy Health, uh, I think the walls are always through. So there's a, an obvious shift to virtual care because of the sustainability issues with healthcare. And it's, uh, I guess, uh, useful to differentiate between the virtual care that's just remote monitoring of chronic patients to virtual wards where you basically have the person at home instead of a hospital and use all the monitoring that you would in the hospital to monitor that patient. And the NHS is currently investing 450 million pounds in the next two years to expand the virtual wards and to decrease the burden on the hospitals. But a lot of physicians are very skeptical about that because it's not like they can discharge patients faster at the moment because they say that they're not holding on to patients anyway already. So that's not really a problem that virtual wards are addressing. And at the same time, if you introduce virtual wards, there's different challenges that arise. So, for example, if a nurse comes into someone's home, she needs to be aware of what kind of dangers she can encounter there. And she might not have the help of colleagues that she can have mm. on the ward. So based on your long-term experiences, what do you see as the biggest challenges in the broader virtual health provision? So it sounds to me like the NHS needs to be talking to us because we've got some experiences around this. And clearly, we've found out all of those elements, right? Those opportunities, not just challenges, but opportunities of when a nurse or a paramedic or a social worker or a combination there of a care team goes in to a patient's home 
one of the things that they need to be looking out for, everything from fall risks to security elements to Wi-Fi, is it working or not, to various other elements of flow. So we figured it out. But I think this is, a, this is an opportunity to truly pivot. This is an opportunity for us to really say, all right, can we actually decrease the length of stay? And we're showing that we can. Can we actually take patients who would otherwise have prolonged stays in the hospitals? These are post-op patients who are maybe recovering from a knee arthroscopy or a hip arthroscopy or congestive heart failure patients or patients with pneumonia and COPD, right? Can we actually discharge them earlier so that we can then treat them in the comfort of their home? And I think we can. So we've proven that we can. We're not bringing in technology, but also these human capabilities to really meet them where they choose to meet us and shift the way that we're providing care once and for all. Do you perhaps know of how the virtual care provision is impacting costs? You mentioned that there's a decreased burden on the capacity that the hospital needs to have, but do patients feel the financial burden of virtual care? What's the difference there? Yes, is the answer. There is a, a pretty good shift downwards in the costs overall where we're tracking through all of this. We would not be scaling the program had it not been with those positive momentum that we've actually seen through the pandemic. And then in addition to the costs, there actually is an increase in the quality as well as, well as a 10-point increase in patient experience, which is amazing. And patients across the board have been telling us that, oh my goodness, for me to be able to recover in the comfort of my home, for us to look at the care team, not just as the physicians and the nurses, but also the paramedics and the social workers and the circle of trust that the patients have in their own home. It could be their moms, it could be their grandkids, it could be others, and have that embedded in the care fabric of what we're providing. I think that has dramatic and direct consequences to how cost decreases and experience increases as well as the quality goes up through the roof as well. The United Arab Emirates are very keen on adopting technologies from the West. However, when it comes to virtual care and retail health, Ali Hashemi, investor in early stage ventures and also the co-founder and CEO of Metabolic Startup, believes that the advantage in the U.S. is the large healthcare market. I'm not sure that there's a one-to-one comparison or copy-paste in that specific secular trend. And the reason for that is because in the UAE, we simply don't have the scale that you need to have in order for an Amazon-like play to make sense or a CVS play like to make sense. It's just too small of a market to make the kind of investments that these guys are making or to build out that platform. That said, are there elements of it which will manifest? And yeah, absolutely. Dubai, for better or for worse, it has modeled its healthcare system largely on the U.S. in terms of reimbursement, insurance, and the way it functions. There are elements of sort of European payer models or Canadian payer models because there is a single payer for Emiratis, the UAE nationals, but everyone else has private health insurance. I think if I go a little bit higher to 30,000 feet, rather than looking at the channel play, right? Because if you talk about retail and health within retail, that's a channel story. Okay, but that's part of the story. The more important picture is what are we actually buying? It doesn't matter what channel I buy it through. And look at your own retail experience outside of healthcare. You don't just buy things on Amazon. You don't just watch movies on Netflix. You actually subscribe to a number of different channels as your source of content or source of product. And the same is likely to be true for healthcare because more likely to be true for healthcare because you're much more sensitive to having choice in some sense. The reason you're sensitive to choice 
is because it's very hard to determine what's good and what's not. Because there's a information desert, right? People so far aren't accountable, aren't reporting outcomes, and they're not accountable to those outcomes. I'm thinking way beyond the channel partnerships and I candidly don't care that much. What I'm trying to figure out is how do we actually move everyone away from paying for minutes, products, lab tests, diagnostics, and paying for the outcome itself. Many countries are publishing their healthcare digitalization strategies this year. The Netherlands will have one ready by April. In the Netherlands, hospitals are private with a certain freedom in terms of investments, but still very limited in data sharing. This is what Bianca Roenhorst, the chief information officer at the Dutch Ministry of Health, says of the upcoming changes in the Netherlands and the impressions from NextMed. Now, what I think that we're in the Netherlands, we are the starting of this transition. We we have the same vision that we have to 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 change the care from hospitals to the home, but we are just starting with it. And we're looking for what kind of digital care programs here you can put in place for the care they that people get with the doctor or in a hospital. So we're just at the beginning of starting. In Holland, we have a system that the care is so uh, private uh, and commercial. And the government, we only make laws. <laughs> and And so I am taking with me that I want to talk with all the hospitals, with the doctors, with the physicians, how I, for my role of government, can help them to make the transition so we can get the care at home, care better. And what do you have to do to make it change? So that's what I'm taking with me. It's actually interesting that you reminded us that hospitals are private in the Netherlands because yes. that makes them quite similar to the hospitals here in terms of being autonomous in yes. deciding how they want to drive care. What, what do you see, see as the potential barriers towards moving closer to home? What I see is that I see now hospitals who are doing uh, things on their own. And I want to set the citizen. The citizen of Holland is a central. He gets m many doctors and all over different hospitals. And when they're all doing something else and not doing the same things, then it's the adoption of digital care will be low. So we have to work at the trust and ad adoption for di digital care when we want to give the care at home and not anymore in different hospitals. So they have to work together. The Netherlands already has a highly digitized healthcare system and generally strong startup ecosystem. As presented by Lucien Engelen, who operates globally at the convergence of innovation and strategy for executive boards, governments, corporates and professionals via his company Transform.Health, one of the startups in the healthcare space designed a machine that could be placed in pharmacies and provide automated phlebotomy services. The U.S. is different from Europe. U.S. healthcare is a business model. In Europe, it's a... Public good. It's public, that's for it, but also a, a delivery model kind of thing. We've got this pot of money and we need to distribute that. That's a different approach. So to your point of retail, that is crucial for that. We don't have retail clinics in Europe yet, as we see over here. Some of those in the UK, for instance, 
what you now see is the interest also from retail in what is the role that we can play in health and healthcare. And this blood drawing robot is great. I praised the guys and girls that made it, but to me, it's still a gizmo yet. Because the real advantage is, is that when patients get into their drugstore or the supermarket or the pharmacy, as opposed to in the clinics and the GV practices, the number of touch points will increase. And with that, we will be able to catch diseases earlier on, are able to refer them and better referral than now because everybody gets referred. So I think this is early days. And also for this, it probably will take a generation. But that's also why I now run a program which is called Healthcare Meets Retail in the Netherlands. 35 big partners chimed into it. And as a matter of fact, on May 12th, we will open up the first exploration center in the Netherlands with those 35 partners to just explore what are the opportunities? Because we don't know. So it's not an innovation center. It's not a experience center or whatever. It's more, let's jump into this together and write the book together in it. Germany has been at the forefront globally with the reimbursement system designed for digital therapeutics. But when it comes to the national digital healthcare infrastructure, the country is lagging behind other countries. As observed by health tech investor, inventor, entrepreneur and professor Michael Fribe, the general fragmentation of the country into states, the legal setup of care provision and culture are a huge deterrent to further progress in healthcare innovation. However, solutions that don't require medical supervision could be introduced, he says. There's a good friend of mine who said that Germany has by far the best analog healthcare system in the world. I think the major problem is, and you need to understand the German healthcare system a little in that respect, is that doctors typically have the power. And doctors are the ones who decide, and doctors are the only ones who are able to charge a health insurance. You are not allowed as a normal company to employ doctors. That's against their statutes. So they either form their own organization and then they do that kind of service or they're employed as a hospital and the hospital does the service. But in, in essence, as a private company, you're not really allowed to employ them for medical services. It's really a limitation. And so I see, see that a little um, difficult to implement that. On the other hand, I believe, I'm not sure that we need a doctor for that. So that's a different story. If we do this kind of booth setup, this health booth or this health checkup, you don't need a doctor for that. As long as it doesn't give you any diagnostic information, only merely information about your status, biometric status, this is me right now, this is me in, in, in one month, or it was in one month, and then you can follow that and you basically have access to that or it's part of your electronic health record, I think you don't need a doctor for that as official. But you may have to ask who's paying for it. And yeah. So Germany is interesting in the sense that healthcare digitalization, the, the digitalization of the infrastructure is uh, way behind yes. many other European and countries and the U.S., obviously. But it's there is a lot of innovation happening, and especially, for example, digital therapeutics. Germany is at the forefront globally about that. So how do you see that this whole shift in how care is provided is changing? For example, in the UK, they are heavily investing now in virtual wards, but that's because of workforce shortages. And it's also because they have a national health service. So they have a federal institution that covers basically all of the UK. 
In Germany, we have 16 states and the, sta the health is responsibility of the states. It's not a federal responsibility, which also means then that the, uh, the federal cannot really tell the states of what to do. And there is a lot of people who just always see the problems with it rather than opportunities. And that's why nothing happens in this country. But we are just really behind it. And I fully agree with you. 2012, we were supposed to have the electronic health care cut. It's 2023 now. Nothing has happened. Now, our new federal minister has said we'll introduce the electronic prescription and health care by the end of 2023. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm skeptical. But to answer your question with the digital therapeutics, it's like it will be on record. So I'll say it anyway. But Germany has always been on the forefront of a lot of innovations, but they have not been capable of actually making a business model out of it or to actually scale it. But at the end of the day, there's lots of entrepreneurs, lots of ideas, lots of concepts that are then blocked in the German system. And then these German entrepreneurs have to actually move outside or move somewhere else. And you see a lot from Ada Health. They are basically in the U.S. now. But they were started in Germany, so they're from Berlin. And this is really sad to see, but it's, that's what happens. I'm also an investor, so I have 14 little startups. And most of my investments go actually now to Holland, Switzerland, and Scandinavia. So that's where we actually try to introduce them. I have a lot of hope that there's something called, it's a little bit called reverse innovation, but reverse innovation is actually going for more that discrepancy between low-income and high-income nations. So let's assume that Germany is a high-income nation, but an, a, a laggard in, with respect to innovation. We'll do it in Holland. We do it in Scandinavia. Works there. What can the Germans say of not, what, what can they have against not introducing that? That's like the strategy that I'm trying to do right now. So see if it works. When discussing virtual care, a good market to look at is China. Its digital economy and culture have been reshaping care delivery and healthcare access for years. Alex Javaronko, CEO of Insilico Medicine, an artificial intelligence company headquartered in Hong Kong with R&D and management resources in the USA, China, Canada, UAE, Belgium, UK and Taiwan, believes that China has a strong competitive advantage compared to other countries across the world due to the preparedness of people to share their healthcare data. China, as we know, is the future, right? So if you go there and spend some time there, you'll feel like on a different planet. Chinese are very um, accepting to new technologies. And as the payment system is all digital, so there is pretty much no paper money and people pay with their phones. So it's not about credit cards. Everything is in the phone. So they are so used to interacting with the phone for all the basic needs that it very rapidly propagated to healthcare. So now we have massive systems like Week Doctor and many other private apps on the WeChat and Alibaba systems that allow people to procure to procure drugs, make medical booking appointments, make appointments in a hospital, communicate with a doctor, interact with their digital files so all the patient records everything can be digitized and exposed to the patient in real time via one of the apps for a long time one of the challenges that the healthcare system in china was facing was the lack of trust into primary care so people would travel into hospitals basically even if they had to wait for hours for days how do you see the preparedness of the consumers of patients is changing because China is so digitally advanced. Sure. So the issue of trust is not only about China. It's about pretty much every country. So you want to go and be seen by the top professional in the field. And very often patients like to get second or third opinion. In China, you 
people trusting the famous physicians a little bit more and having access to some of them using digital tools makes it much more easy for physicians to access much broader spectrum of people. And also now that the much of the healthcare is, and you can very rapidly access the physician from the comfort of your cell phone, people get more comfortable with that and go to the physician with only bigger problems. Is there anything that you observe that might be useful for the Western countries to know in terms of how to transform and enhance the healthcare system with the help of virtual tools? So again, one of the most important aspects of China is that the payments are digital. You pay with your phone. And when your phone is the window to pretty much everything, bus rides to paying for your household, for paying electro electricity bills, for ordering food, for ordering the coffee from the nearby shop, you get used to it and you integrate the health. The healthcare integration is seamless. So you basically just naturally plug healthcare into this digital world. So I think that the world needs to be a little bit more interconnected and trusting towards technology. In the West, I see that people are much less willing to share their healthcare data and they are very afraid of their healthcare data being accessed by, by other people, even though access to their credit cards or identity information is probably much more sensitive. In my career, I have, over the past 20 years, I have not seen anybody being hurt by having their health data accessed. The employers are regulated, so they cannot discriminate on the basis of your health records. And even if some of that is in the public domain, what's the problem? But the Chinese are much more open in terms of sharing their data, in terms of working with technology, and they are much less worried about that. So I think it's a cultural issue. And what we need to see is the politicians, the regulators, who try to make the name by, for themselves by scaring people about the dangers of having their data accessed by someone. They just need to change the narrative and think about what's good for the world, and sharing is good for the world. On the opposite side of the spectrum is Africa, where healthcare delivery is often provided by nurses in the community. The quality of care is generally low, and the market lacks the buying power for digital tools. Emilian Popa is the CEO of Ilara Health, which distributes low-cost, modern tech-powered diagnostic devices directly to primary care doctors in peri-urban and rural clinics. As mentioned by Emilian, the environment and challenges in Africa are very different to the Western countries. When I look at what's happening on the other side of the world, and specifically in, in Africa, in Kenya, where I am, it's very different. And I, actually, I don't think it's that different from what can happen in the U.S. outside outside here. And I was chatting with an investor of ours two days ago over dinner, and he said, just drive 50 kilometers, 50 miles outside San Diego inland, and you'll see it's a completely different world. Also aligned with what one of the presenters was showing yesterday, the correlation between zip code and life expectancy. You leave downtown Boston, and you leave... 10, 10 miles outside, I mean, it's like a 20 or 30 years drop in life expectancy. So what I want to say is that the kind of we live in two different worlds and the way the care is delivered using technology or everything else is very different. When I look at Kenya and I think we, we face a distinct set of challenges compared to the Western markets. And I firmly believe that there is, needs to be a fundamental shift, I mean, from the typical treatment, medication, way of delivering care to prevention and detection. And I think this is essential. Now, I think this is the common point between here and there, right? 
when I when we look at the, the food crisis and the health crisis because of food in the U.S. in Kenya, it's not that different, right? People eat the same hydrogenated oils and sugar and massive quantities of sugar and then milk and bad carbs. The, I think the big difference is that. Here there is money, there would be money to solve this if there was willing. There is some kind of awareness or there is money to create awareness. In the other side of the world, there's no money and there's no awareness, right? So same problem, but difficult to solve it. And I, this goes back to my thinking around how to look at reimagining the way the healthcare is delivered across multiple markets. And this is much more complex than just technology. It's nice to bring technology, but when I look at, at Kenya, there there's no infrastructure. I mean, the infrastructure is broken. There's plenty of infrastructure, but the infrastructure is completely broken. So one needs to think way more than just technology. We often think that technology is a universal panacea for everything. Not always. I think there are other things which need to come first, which is awareness, which is pricing. Those Kenyans spend $70 a year in the whole healthcare delivery, and this is out of pocket. An American spends 10000 The European will spend between two and 5000 right? So $70. What can you really do with seventy dollars? So it's very little. So pricing is super important, and I think we really need to be to be humble and to recognize that technology is important. A lot of things can be delivered via the technology, but there are other, that but the delivery of a better healthcare system is much com- more complex than just technology. In Africa. Care is already very decentralized. It's basically run by nurses in the communities. So how do you see that the healthcare delivery is changing with new technologies? And how, what's the Kenyan perspective of the whole shift towards virtual retail health that we talked about a lot here? If I look at the developed side of the world, right, the decentralization from down from hospitals down to home is necessary and comes already with technology, right? We try to keep people out of the hospitals. We put them home. We give them wearables and the wearables will automatically alert a doctor if there is a change in some, some biomarkers, etc. So the tech is already part of it. In the other side of the world, there's no infra, so there's broken infrastructure. So the decentralization has happened already. And some of those places are more advanced than, to a certain extent than the developed side of the world. And thinking of in Kenya, I use M-Pesa, I use mobile money, I never have cash. I don't need a credit card. I pay through my phone. I buy bananas in the streets with my phone. I pay everything. I go to Berlin, try to pay breakfast with my credit card, and I'm sent to the nearest ATM to withdraw cash. What I'm trying to say is that some of those places are actually more advanced to a certain extent in their very basic way of doing things. So in Kenya, there are 20,000 small private, like 10,000 privately owned small medical or nurse nurse practitioner run medical practices compared to, I don't know, six, 7,000 GP practices in all England, if you Google how many GPs are in England, right? So the, it's already decentralized. The challenge is that it's not technology. So the quality, there are plenty of small decentralized care facilities, but they're all completely completely broken. There is no, there is no educate. The level of education of those medical practitioners is very low. There is no technology, etc. So the challenge is that how do you bring tech in this decentralized care which exists already and how to upgrade how do we upgrade tech and not tech this delivery this care delivery system to make it to make it work and that's much more complex than just virtual care because as i said those virtual care works in a place where you stay home you have a proper home you stay home and then you can speak to someone you can speak to a doctor in those places the homes are very different right a kenyan in the outskirts of nairobi would not have a home in the way we understand it here maybe she lives in a shack maybe she lives in a but they will go outside of their building and there are like maybe five clinics in the street. There are like maybe 40, 50 pharmacies in one street. As much as there are like 100 people selling fruits and veggies because there's no supermarket. So, the, um, so it's very difficult to do virtual care when actually there is there's no need. For, there's, there's, 
there's no real need for better care because the care is already there. Now there is a certain that there may be a need for better care and for access to doctors for better care. The challenge is the payment. People pay out of pocket and they will not be able. They will not afford a specialist. So you can put them in front of a phone and a camera with a specialist somewhere, but who's going to pay them? So it's rather I think that it's rather how do you upgrade very basically trained clinicians, nurses, whatever, very basic, but you give them, t- you upgrade them through technology, and while you keep the human touch, and like this you solve, you solve the care delivery using clinical decision systems, diagnostics, or automated diagnostics, point of care diagnostics, etc. We will finish this episode with Lucien Engelen from the Netherlands, who you've heard from already, and Zeyna Kayat, who is based in Canada and works as VP of Client Success for Teladoc Health in Canada. She's also the in-house health futurist at the Deloitte Canada Life Sciences and Healthcare team and an adjunct faculty with and adjunct faculty with the University of Toronto Rotman School of Management. We heard that Advocate Health just announced a partnership with Best Buy to basically bring to support patients at home, but that support isn't provided basically by the hospital, by, but by the retailer. And especially from the European perspective, I definitely don't see that kind of deals happening. But at the same time, Lucien, you were mentioning that there's robots in the Netherlands already, so that robots will basically draw blood in the pharmacy. So how do you see this whole shift? What's actually just ideas and what do you see that is being implemented and works without negative side yeah. Just maybe I'll start where your question has started because you said the word telemedicine and you said the word virtual care. I sat through every single session here. Not once did the word telemedicine yeah. come up. We are beyond that. So you know, I think virtual care is a completely different thing yeah. from telemedicine. This idea of a visit as the currency of healthcare and now you can separate the clinician from the patient so they're not in the same room and they're going to convert, they're going to speak by tele, telephony or video. Not particularly interesting. Sure, it might save some carbon. There's yeah, a convenience. Sure. But a visit-based paradigm, just to Lishan's point, where we think all the care is going to go down in these units of time called a 15-minute visit between a highly trained physician. Yep. That is just so the end of healthcare. So virtual care is now where you're untethering care from place from visits, from time, and you're able to get a much more continuous set of engagement and data that I have a lot of time for, but nobody even used the word virtual care because it's just where we're at. Like it's care. It's also one of the things that I've stressed for a number of years when we started to talk about e-health. Yeah. And my my mantra about that, we need to get this digital and virtual and e-health out of the world. That's it. You know, this is health care. This is health. (laughs) And that's where we are right now, indeed, where this now really starts to kick in. Reimbursement systems, protocols, standardization in Europe. We now are at the brink of this European health data space. Still a lot work to do, tons of work to do, to be honest. But this also will bring a bigger market also for players to address Europe. I remember clearly that, I wasn't in the room, that Steve Jobs at one point said, when one of the European countries came over to him, he said, get your act together. You're one country as Europe. And that's where we now are becoming also for these kind of companies as well, I think. So I think change is on the brink. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you think, by the way? I actually, I, I wonder to which extent is all this actually going to improve healthcare outcomes? Because 
for some reason, we see that healthcare issues are only increasing. And especially when it comes to uh, adding new devices and new technologies in the whole mix of care, obviously you run into new problems. You've got like the demand for new interoperability. There was a recent study done by the New England Journal of Medicine where basically clinicians said or voiced concern that with retail health, you would just fragment care even further. So you lose that longitudinal picture about what's happening to the patient. To degree, I also think that healthcare is shifting more into putting more responsibility to patients and giving more access to patients because at the end of the day, that's what you really want as a patient. And that's something that you also often have a problem with in where once you get into the system, it's great. But before, in. yeah, getting yeah. in there can take months or years. So we say that we have public systems, but oftentimes if people can afford it, they're just going to go private so they can get their initial diagnosis to be able to then go through the public system. I think this is interesting. I know the study, and I would like to assure that the assumption that it's getting fragmented and that it's not fragmented as we speak is totally out of the range. Yeah. To your point that you just mentioned, it already is fragmented. And if you start working in the patient journey, which often is considered to be the patient journey, but it's only a journey of a patient in one institution, one department, at one physician, and the journey of life, as Annemiek from, from, from the Netherlands also always says, that is not taken into an account. And that's where we think it's fragmented and that retail is going to add a layer to that. I actually think it's quite the opposite in due time because there's tons of work that we have to do prior to that. I also think just to add to my earlier point, I think this idea of we're going to add all these new technologies, I don't see that. Like we have platform technologies we're already using. I think I open it 600 times a day. Only 600. Uh, That already are the platform. So so those days of, like, anyone who comes with a new thing that you now need to adapt, yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. But plugging in, I think, and an interoperability, I haven't met a software company that's not interoperable out of the box. Days are over. It's just like if you start an app and it doesn't work on Android or iOS, I'm sorry, nobody's going to use your app. It's just how it has to be. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to the show, or follow us on LinkedIn. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Stay tuned.